Welcome back to another episode of Season 5 of the RAG Podcast. As you guys know by now, this is the number one podcast across the recruitment sector globally. And we've always been on a mission to help recruitment agencies grow by interviewing founders and telling their stories of success from startup all the way to scale up and exit. Well, this season, we're a little bit different. How do you, as a recruitment leader and founder, maintain your family and friendships whilst being the best person at work? How do you stay physically fit mentally and emotionally? And how do you find time for yourself in the madness? How do you find time for self-interest, for hobbies and self-improvement? Well, to help you with this, I'm going to be interviewing someone every single week that can demonstrate experience in one or more of these areas. So I'm going to talk to recruitment founders and also some experts from outside the industry who can deep dive into things like relationships and health and well-being. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy today's show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast. Um, today, it's, yeah, it's early March. The world is in, I don't even know what to say. It's in a bit of turmoil. There's so much going on. Um, you know, many people gripped to their news and um, there's so much concern um, in, in the world with what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. You just can't avoid it. Um, on the positive side, the recruitment market is absolutely flying um, and does not yet seem to be affected, which is, uh, which is something that I've been, I've been looking closely on. Now, today I'm back with another episode, and this is someone who I've wanted to interview since the day I, uh, I met him, which is only about a month ago. He's an avid listener to the show, a guy called Spencer Kinibi. Now, Spencer is the founder of a company called MBK Search, which is headquartered in New York City, um, but recently opened up operation in the UK and are soon to open up or planning to open up uh, in about a year's time in, in Sydney, Australia, to cater for Asia Pack. What I love about Spencer's story is he did not start in recruitment. He never worked in recruitment, in fact, for anybody else. He used to work for um, investment management firms like ICAP and Bridgewater, and he became the head of operational risk or head of risk looking at the risk portfolio for some of the biggest investment firms and hedge funds on the planet. Um, what happened was, I think it was about in 2013, he decided he wanted to be an entrepreneur and he set up his own small advisory practice where he was going in and helping firms with their risk management. What happened though, after 12 months is he was constantly asked by his clients whether he would want to come internally and be a permanent member of staff running their, their risk practice. And he said he, over and over again, no, it's not what I want to do. I want to be on, on, the, on the outside. But what I can do is, you know, he naturally started finding people he knew and his contacts and using his black book to bring like, like-minded people into those organizations. And I don't think he was even charging for it. So in 2014, he decided, you know, I'm basically running my own recruitment firm. Why don't I, why don't I launch one having never done it? And then over the last seven or eight years or whatever, he's been building um, this business. Now they're at 13 headcount, but they are, they've got some really exciting growth plans. Um, they work with some of the most impressive investment management firms on the planet. Um, and Spencer's just someone who I love it because it, it reminds me of my own story when I left recruitment to go into marketing. I'd never worked in marketing, but I knew recruitment and I leveraged that and had to build the knowledge base and the people around me for the gaps I had. And he's done the same. Um, and look, I think you're going to love this episode. So Spencer, Spencer Kinibi in New York City. Let's get going. Without further ado, Spencer, welcome to the RAG podcast. 
Hey, thanks for having me on. Really excited to be here. My pleasure, mate. My pleasure. We, I feel like, um, I'm, you know, we, we only met, what was it, about four weeks ago we started talking. Yeah, I, feel like yeah. I, I feel like I know you now. We keep this constant, consistent interaction up. And I think the reason we connected is because you said you like the show, right? You're a listener. Oh, yeah. Huge, huge fan of the show. I actually found it just kind of randomly scrolling through recruiting podcasts, trying to hone the craft, as it were, and, you know, saw your <laughs> podcast. And I thought really what set it aside was the whole kind of business component of it. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there about how to be a good recruiter, best practices, et cetera. But there wasn't much around, you know, what is the experience of the individual as an entrepreneur? What is their story and how they grew their recruitment firm? And so, uh, you know, became kind of a religious listener and, and, you know, actively taking notes and things like that. So it's been super helpful to us and, and, you know, just me as a business owner growing, uh, growing the business and, uh, you know, learning about who's doing what out there. Amazing. Well, it's time to pay it forward now, mate. It's time to give your, <laughs> give your, give your advice out to the sector. So without, you know, um, I've given you a little intro, but I can never do it justice. So do me a favor. Tell for, for those that, especially the UK and globally that might not know you, give us an overview of who you are and your business. Sure, sure. Absolutely. So uh, my name is Spencer Kanibi. Um, I am the founder and uh, managing partner with MBK Search. MBK Search, we're a specialized search firm. We focus exclusively in the world of risk, compliance, audit, um, and cybersecurity. This isn't by, uh, you know, by chance. I actually spent the first um, 15, 16 years of my career in the world of risk management. I was the chief chief. Uh, risk officer for ICAP in the Americas, so you know, yeah. big British interdealer broker firm, um, launched a risk risk program there in the U.S. and ran it covering, uh, you know, U.S., Canada, uh, Central and South America, and then transitioned over to the buy side where I was uh, an operational risk officer at Bridgewater Associates, where my purview was really the non-trading, uh, non-investment side of the house, so ops, finance. Uh, you know, accounting, et cetera, et cetera. And so grew up in this space, um, had the, you know, unique privilege of, of being in the, you know, the early years of operational risk as a discipline. Um, but I also always wanted to be a business owner. I always wanted to, to run my own show as it were. And so my initial plan was to, you know, leave Bridgewater to start a consulting firm um, specifically to work with small to medium-sized asset managers, banks, as they thought through issues of risk management, risk compliance, uh, security, et cetera. The time was right. It was right after the credit crisis. Um, investors and the you know public alike were really shining a spotlight on these, these firms that weren't necessarily publicly traded. And so there was a, definitely a need there for kind of that outside of, focus on how to build out their compliance and risk programs. And so that was the first pass at the mm. business and the business went well for a while, um, but quickly started to get tapped on the shoulder by clients saying, Hey, thanks for helping me think about these issues. You've done a good job. Now I need you to come run it. And being the budding entrepreneur that I was, um, wasn't about to go back into industry. So I said, uh, can't help, you know, can't do that, but I can certainly help you find that person. So let me stop you there. So yeah, right. Just to summarize, because a lot of that was a lot, right? And and there's a lot of amazing detail in there. So just to summarize for people, you were in, you were nothing to do with recruitment. You were in risk nothing. and compliance management in yeah. you know the banking sector. You then created your own entity to consult back to the sector. And when people wanted you to stay on, 
that's where this whole idea of a recruitment business came from, I think. Right, right. Yep. Yep. That's correct. Yeah. Right. So, so every business, you know, that you start, there's always that inflection point, right? There's the, hmm. do I continue down this path or do I pursue this other path? Because that other path is potentially more interesting, more lucrative, more scalable, what have you. So, and, so where are you okay. now? So what I want to do is we'll go, we'll go through that journey, but where yeah. are you now? For people who don't know anything about MBK, just give us the kind of bird's eye view of the company, like how many sure. people, location, sure. that kind of stuff. Yep. Yeah. So MBK search, we, um, we currently are in the Americas and we have recently launched a business in the UK um, to cover both UK and continental Europe. In terms of headcount, we're right at 13 right now. Um, and we are looking to expand the operation in the UK and then, you know, really within the next year or two, um, you know, looking to crack into the Asia Pacific market. So the global vision is to have a wow. global brand that follows the sun that covers our accounts and our core areas of focus. Wow. And, and how long has it taken you to get there from this, that moment of inflection to now? Well, how long sure, was that? Sure. Um, that was back in 20, 2014, 2015. And so wow. the first kind of plan was, or the first pass, right, was to A, learn the recruiting business, um, B, get clients, right? All in a bootstrap type of environment. So wow. those first few years were really just, you know, using my network connections, um, you know, uh, taking down clients, um, adding value from that perspective and just kind of learning right, by so, hook or crook how to manage a recruiting business. <laughs> can we, okay, I'm sorry I'm, I'm stopping and starting you, but yeah, there's so much going on in my head, right? So, yeah. see, it's okay. Siri's going off on my phone. Um, so if we go back to the, the moment you, you said you wanted to be an entrepreneur, where do you think that comes from? Like, why do you think that is the case? <sighs> You know, my first job out of college was in a venture capital firm. Um, I had the the I had the great opportunity to be an investment analyst at a very small venture firm, and I had always been excited by and impressed by the entrepreneurs that I met, just their passion and their commitment to the business. I didn't love the modeling and financial side, but I loved the operational business building side. So. That's something that always stuck with me. And it's something that I'd always kind of looked to want to do in my career. And to be honest with you, that's why I picked risk versus trading or investment banking, because risk at the time, operational risk in particular, was very much a startup, um, you know, thing in the financial markets at, you know, 2004, 2005. And so there was a lot of kind of, you know, I, I call it entrepreneurialism with building yeah. up those functions within those firms. And, you know, when I had the chance to go out on my own, I jumped at it. And your original business, what was that called? It was called Coin Partners. So Coin is an architectural oh. term. It's the actual, it's like a keystone in a building. <laughs> right, right. It's a Coin Partners. <laughs> yes. Um, and again, for those that don't quite understand it, how would you describe that business? What were you, what were you set out to do in that in original? Yeah, it was, it was pure play advisory. So it was a, you know, a portfolio manager or a general partner at a hedge fund would call us up and say, look, I need to figure out compliance. I need to put together a risk register because I have a big investor coming in next week. You know, I need to think about these things because it's important to the marketplace and it's important to, to running my business in a, you know, in a good way. Right. Okay. And that would be just you or did you, did you build a team? Or how did that look? <sighs> You know, it was it was classic startup consulting. So it really was just a team of consultants working for me that I would partner with 
subject matter experts. So if a client wanted cyber, I would have, I had a great cyber, uh, cybersecurity partner that I would bring in. So I was the only employee, but at any given time I could ratchet up a project team uh, pretty yeah. substantially. Right. And how long did that run for before you said it became apparent people wanted you to, to be consistently and you started finding people for them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I left Bridgewater in 2013, end of 2013, was fortunate enough that they kept me on. They were effectively my first client Um, and then uh, started to add on new clients. And I really made the switch to recruiting about a year and a half later in 2015. That was when the really the writing was really on the wall. Um, And, you know, it was interesting because I, you know, didn't fall into it lightly. I took a step back and I said, there's actually something here because I'd been a hiring manager for years and years and years. And I was always frustrated by kind of that, you know, I saw a gap in the market, right. Then, and the gap in the market was this kind of understanding of what it was I needed and Mm -hmm. internal HR while great, um, you know, they're filling hundreds of recs, thousands of recs in many cases, they don't have a lot of time to give you love. your markets, your your area is always going to be one of them as well. That an internal talent team or HR, they're going to right. stay. They're going to be they're going to be scared by your division, right? Right. <laughs> be like right. compliance and risk. And, oh, I, we're going to always go external for someone, something like that. Yep. I imagine. Yep, exactly. And the external partners, you know, again, while good, um, I was just so darn picky that you know they would give me a little bit of love in the beginning and if i didn't like what they showed me they'd kind of move on and so i saw a big gap in the market for you know i'd hired these people i knew what it was that the hiring managers were looking for i could go out and find it and on the candidate side they would pick up the phone when i called because i was one of them and i'll tell you i mean within within six months i had some of the biggest firms in the world as my clients um you know Again, post-credit crisis, it was mostly kind of contingency search. I mean, there wasn't a lot of retained uh, or staffing going on. But I, f- I feel like starting in the contingency search side of things is, is, is great because it's, it's, you know, bare knuckle fist fights. You know, it's just, it's just that, that nasty yeah. side of recruiting that I value having started there because it, you know, it was, you know, it was a great learning opportunity for me. But what, it's one of them like – how would you explain that feeling when you start the business that you've never done, but you can see you, cause you know it, you can see an opportunity. Like what, how would you describe that kind of big vision, but no knowledge? What, how would you, or lack of, lack of expertise. How would you explain that? Because I feel like that's exactly my experience with Oxo and I'll, and I'll share mine in a minute. But sure, it's, sure. Like, it's almost identical. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's a ton of fear associated with, you know, with it, right. You know, I, I often explain, you know, running a business and, and recruiting businesses like playing chicken on the highway with a semi, you know, it's kind of whoever, whoever box first, you know, loses. And that's kind of the way it is on a day-to-day basis. And so I think the first thing I did was I tried to surround myself with experts or, you know, maybe not necessarily direct employees, but people who knew a lot more than I did about recruiting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it wasn't hard, but, you know, I found people who kind of helped advise me in building the business and then surrounding myself with experts around, you know, actually building the business, um, knowing what I don't know, which is and will always be, you know, <laughs> a lot. Um, and just trying to supplant that knowledge with 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 people who were smarter than I was. And I think that was kind of the biggest thing. Um, 
you know, and then just a lot of it is trial by fire. You know, I mean, let's face it, recruit, you know, there's a pretty low barrier of entry to getting into contingency search recruiting. It's basically an internet connection, a cell phone yeah. and a laptop, right? Um, yeah. And so I think it was a lot of just having a fresh perspective to running things um, and approaching it that way. And the other thing I will say too, is that I was also a big early buyer of tech. So my thing was, look, use technology to scale what it is I'm doing, put all my commissions back into buying, you know, LinkedIn recruiter packages, buying a proper ATS, um, you know, being one of the first adopters of, of, you know, AI sourcing technology, things like that. And so my goal was to always scale, um, you know, the volume and production that our recruiters would have. And so the goal is to, to say, hey, I got, uh, I got a person in a seat. They need to be three x more productive than your standard kind of recruitment body shop firm. Wow, I mean, if I look back at my experience, it was similar. Like you know, worked in the industry, knew it inside out. Actually, hadn't worked in marketing, but knew there was a huge gap. Yeah, and felt I knew this industry well enough to to solve that problem, and so had to go and surround myself with people. And it's, it's almost identical. But I think the thing is, I. I felt a bit fearless. Like there was fear, but there was, I don't think it was, it would have been the same fear had I just carried on doing what I'd always done. Yep. Because I did not know the pain that was coming. Like I had no idea the roadblocks that were going to go. So it was almost like, I, I liken it's like a young footballer who gets on the pitch at 18 and just plays without fear like they're in the street because you're like, well, I don't, I don't even know what the pitfalls are going to be. Whereas in recruitment back in my day, having done it for so long, I, if I'd have launched Hoxo, the original plan, which was a recruitment firm, I kind of knew what I was expecting and I think I'd have done pretty well, but I think knowing some of the challenges ahead was what was putting me off. Whereas in this one, it was like, fuck, the opportunity is massive, but I don't know what could go wrong. So did you, do you think there's any similarities there? Oh yeah. A thousand percent. Right. There's that, there's that almost brave naivete yeah, that you yeah. have. And there's also the fact that you, you've launched something, you're out there, you have no choice but to go forward. You know, I always think about, you know, the, you know, the landing crafts at D-Day when that, when that door goes down, you ain't staying on that landing craft. You got to go forward. And the yeah. only way you survive is to go through the gunfire, the waves and climb that damn cliff, you know, and that's <laughs> really the way I, I looked at, you know, starting the business. I had no choice but to succeed. So I just did it. Yeah. What was your life like outside of work when you started the business? Yeah, you know, life was life was great. You know, uh, have uh, have have two, had two young boys at the time. Obviously, they're getting older now. Um, you know, married things like that. Um, you know, that's the side of entrepreneurialism that you don't hear a lot about. It's a sacrifice the families make. You know, when I was at Bridgewater, you know, world's biggest hedge fund, was making good money, right? As you can imagine, and we were. We were saving for our, our dream home. And it was that conversation with the wife over the kitchen table saying, all right, we got this money um, and we got this opportunity to start a business. Um, it's either house or business. And, you know, she had enough faith in me to say, hey, I'll put off, you know, buying our dream home and let's kind of plow this back into the business. And, you know, a year later when things are tight and you're waiting on receivables and, you know, that life saving shrinks down to... <laughs> Yeah, to very yeah. little, you know, it's a gut check moment. Um, but that's really kind of the life of building a business. You know, I mean, when you have a family that, that, you know, you know, depends on you and you're, you know, pushing 40 years old, it's, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to start your own thing and you got to have an extra element of bravery to do that. 
Yeah, yeah. I think the age, the age thing, like almost up to thirty, you kind of feel comfortable working for the people. Yeah, yep. I started my business at thirty, and I think that was kind of. I would at the time I was I just bought a house. I think I was engaged. Was I engaged? No, I got engaged after it. But I was I knew I was in a relationship no longer. But that I thought that was the the kind of long term. We had no kids, and I was like, yeah, there's no there's no better time. And and yeah, and you say you know you're touching forty. There's there's a hell of a lot of different circumstances. There's so much risk attached to you playing so with people. And you know, did you always know if if shit at the fan though you could you could go back to consulting and advisory and things in that space and you'd be okay did you have did you feel like you had that safety net yeah you know i mean it was it, it was my situation was unique because you know i had that background and all my clients were were people who would hire me if i needed it you know what i mean yeah, so yeah. so i was pretty confident that that could happen but i think if you're going to commit to starting a business you got to take that backup plan and set it on fire you know what i mean yeah. I, that's yeah, just my mentality not no, it's, it's not, not because it holds you back and keeps you, it keeps mm. you from taking the steps you need to do to be successful. 100%. And I, look, we did the set. We knew we could always go back to recruiting when, when it, if, if and when, but it wasn't what we wanted to do. And we never really right. thought twice once we started. Um, yeah. So, okay. So tell us what, in those initial formative years, whether it one or two years, what did you struggle with the most not being in, uh, from the industry? Where did, what parts of the process or the business did you find the most difficult? <sighs> Hands down, the most difficult was, you know, meeting the demand. You know, we always had more business than we could possibly fill. Mm. Um, and it was just kind of finding that, you know, towing that fine line between you know, taking on jobs that you're going to be successful at, making the clients happy, but not over committing, right? And so the risk is always, always going a mile wide and an inch deep. And that was, that was always a challenge. And the other challenge too, was just, you know, having enough money to do what we do what we wanted to do, having a family and, and being a commission only business. Um, you know, we made a decision early on, we we're going to bootstrap and that was it. So we never went out and raised money, never took on any debt. So it was wow. all about just plowing the money back into the business and, you know, so when did growing you start, it from that standpoint. When did you start, how long did the business start to feel, was, was like cash flow positive, you were profitable and you thought, you know what, now it's time to start bringing other people on this journey with me. Yep, yep. So cash flow positive was from day one, which is great. Um, in terms of bringing people on, you know, I think, you know, the biggest challenge from a people perspective as a bootstrapper was okay, do I bring on commission-only recruiters? Can I bring on part-time recruiters? You know, do I partner with other recruiting firms? So I literally tried every model under the sun, you know, in addition to bringing on hourly recruiters or commission recruiters. So I think a lot of it was just fits and starts with what the right model is. And I, I think we found kind of that right approach now. And believe it or not, <laughs> a lot of it was just, you know, validated by listening to the RAG podcast and hearing what other uh, folks, folks did in terms of their journey, right? I'll take, I'll take um, that. I'll take that. <laughs> the mad yeah, thing, so though, if I go back, if I go just, just to interrupt, if I go back to my yeah. journey, though, like in 2015, 16, when me and my business partner, you met him yesterday, yeah. Yeah. when when we decided we were definitely going to do this, and it was Hoxo, the recruitment agency, it wasn't a marketing business. One thing in 2015 was I got into podcasts. I started listening. That's the year I, it's the year I stopped drinking so much and partying yeah. so much. And I thought, yeah. you know what? Yeah. I just, I was, I was saving for my house and I knew as soon as I bought the house, the rest of the money was for the business. Right. So, yes. 
I started listening to entrepreneurs and to uh, people like life coaches and and I tried to find a recruitment podcast back in 2015, 16, and it was didn't exist. I mean, there was there was a couple of trainers who had like these little like one minute clips and things around, and it, there might have been one or two out there that I didn't I I didn't find anything I was remotely interested in. But it did the, what I wanted to listen to didn't exist. So when when I launched the rag, it was for myself really. Like it was the product I always wanted, which was if I can't sit there with experienced owners day in day out. A week in week out and especially when you can't tell your current boss you're leaving which is a massive thing in our industry sure why sure. not listen why not listen to the top 100 founders and find out from them so you know i'm, I'm really glad it, it's it's I'd had that benefit because that was that was the whole point sure sure yeah absolutely i mean uh, immensely beneficial yeah i mean the the content out there back in 2016 2017 was all you know Hey, I'm the best recruiter ever. I fill 100% yeah. of my roles and I don't take less than 40% commission. And it's all retained, by the way. And if you're not doing any of those, you suck. And you're only going to do better <laughs> if you buy my uh, if you buy my book or, or you buy my yeah, books, yeah. right? So that yeah, yeah. Was, was not helpful at all. Because <laughs> mm. that's not the reality, man. That's not the way no. reality is. No. And so that's what I like about RAG is that you, you know, it is real. It pitches reality. These business owners struggle with the same things that I have. So yeah. it's just, it's cathartic in a lot of ways. I want to mention our sponsor today, which is Talent Ticker. Um, I believe that's a product that Spencer bought off the back of listening to the show. Um, and Talent Ticker, I'm hearing some unbelievable things in the market. Because if you don't know, they're designed to save you time and specifically help recruiters get ahead um, with things like, understanding where to spend their time so it gives you things like predictive intelligence of the types of companies that are ready to hire the types of companies that are taking investment it gives you a candidate database of over 600 million profiles and it integrates with your recruitment crms like bullhorn etc to make life so much easier so if you want a tool that will help you call the right person at the right time for the right reason then you need to get at least a demo with these guys so go to talentticker.ai and mention that you are a rag listener if you look, uh, there's a link in the chat as well, and a link to the show with, with a with a specific rag link, so that you can uh, we can track that you've listened to the show. So, I hope you love Talent Ticker as much as my customers do, and uh, yeah, I've got no doubt you will. You know, you said you you struggled with demand. You started hiring. Tell us about that journey because you're now not just trying to fill it for yourself. You're trying to bring sure. on. Other, others did you try and find people with expertise and skills or did you go down the junior model what was your route to growing the team yeah so the first approach was hey i can i can give them the subject matter expertise in our markets i just need good kind of people with recruiting skills and that that worked well for a while um and you know layering a couple juniors a couple sourcers here and there but that that was the the approach was I would kind of train them on our, our areas of risk and audit compliance and then just get good recruiters that are coming in and, and you know, banging the phones and emailing and things like that. And that, that worked great. Um, and then it kind of bumps us into 2019, right? Um, you know, pre-COVID. And so we'd made the decision to, I'd always, I'd always had a vision of that global brand. Um, and I knew there was a lot of opportunity in the UK, Asia Pacific, and so we had formed our UK entity at the end of 2019 and we're starting to actively market, um, you know, into that space and continental Europe. And 
So the plan was to do it from the U.S., but then quickly kind of add on a U.K. partner and build a U.K. team. Um, and then, you know, COVID hits, right? You know, beginning of 2020, um, we still had everything out there, but you get to a point, and this is, I guess, a pro and a con of being a risk manager, is I lived through, look, I'd lived through post-9-11. I'd lived through all the frauds after that. I'd lived through the credit crisis. You know, I'd, 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 I'd managed a lot of risk for you know, big companies dealing with that. And I knew that, you know, once the lockdown started happening, that, you know, things are going to go fast, go south really quick. And what was fortunate was our clients didn't necessarily stop things right away. Our markets, we're very fortunate in our markets because as long as there's laws and bad guys and things break, Mm. there's going to be a need for the the people that we go out and hire. So in in a way, it's a, it's a non-cyclical business. Um, but again, when things get really bad, like they did in COVID, there's definitely some freezes and things. So we almost had this kind of false screen of security for the, the bulk of 2020. And then right leading up into the U S election, it just dropped off a cliff. I mean, it went from, you know, you know, 50, 60 wrecks to, you know, less than 10 overnight. Why? Why? Um, you know, it, we're overly exposed to the U.S. And I think the U.S. financial market was just kind of holding its breath to, to see what happened with the election. I think COVID was really, really increasing, uh, especially in the States. I mean, the curve was was ratcheting up. I think our peak was in January of 2021. So we were right yeah, there. Yeah. It was just like this coalescing of let's just kind of stop and take a pause. And so obviously in the contingency game, we're paid on success. And our roles didn't necessarily go away, but they were all paused, right? So now you have all these expenses and now you have... How many people you know, did you have at that? Was it similar to the headcounts in now? Or? We were we were pretty small. I want to say we were right around kind of four or five-ish and a mix of kind of permanent and, you know, contractors and hourlies that we had. Um, so that was the, the gut check moment for sure, you know? And then how did, going you, into, how did you handle it? It was just, you know... You do, you do things that you can do right away to stop the bleeding, stop paying yourself, um, you know, uh, do what you can to make sure that everybody else gets paid and gets fed. Another, and another like kitchen that. table, another kitchen table. Yeah, moment, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> remember, remember when I said we'd start earning some real yes. money this year? <laughs> well, right. so, you know, I, was, I'm going to stop paying myself. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That, was, uh, that was pretty rough. Um, the one thing I will say about our business, which – obviously wasn't as common back then is we were always remote. Um, I made that plan pretty early on being a bootstrapping, you know, firm is look, we can do this thing from anywhere. And so we'd always been remote. So the physical office having overhead, you know, things like that. I've always had a small office to go to every day because I have young kids and it's just, it's good to be able to get out, but everybody else worked, worked remote. So from that perspective, you know, physically we were fine. Um, but yeah, it was a tough time. It was a tough time, but you know, it's just one of those things where, like I said, you, the backup plan has to go into the garbage and it's, 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 you know, it's, you got to do it. There's just no choice. So you just got to do it. Um, and then, you know, I would say right around, you know, very similar to most folks in the industry, right around, you know, February timeframe jobs started to come back in. We had some really, really good clients who believed in us and trusted us and, you know, gave us a look. Um, you know, we also did a couple things towards the end of, you know, 2020, you know, COVID discounts, we called it, you know, just anything we could to, you know, to keep out there with clients. Um, 
you know, new client discounts things. And so the business really started to take off in first quarter of 2021. And it's really been, been humming ever since. I mean, our growth has just been unbelievable. All right. So, so let's take it then. It's a year ago. We're in the UK goes back into lockdown. January 20th. Yep. That was the time. Wasn't it? The vaccine had just arrived, but it wasn't out there yep. in its masses. The, the Delta variant, I think it was, or whatever, yeah, went yeah, crazy yeah. globally. So you're sat with four or five people. You stop paying yourself again, and you 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 remote. Did you at that point think you'd be where you are now? Did you did you have that UK expansion plan? Was all that in place? All that the UK expansion plan was basically put on hold due to all right. of that. Um, at that time I knew we were going to get there. I just didn't know how long it would be. Um, and it was really just more of a, you know, survival mode. You know, I knew how much we had to bring in, you know, fortunately the, the U S government had some payroll protection plans and things like that in place for small business, which was good. You know, it was able to, able to kind of, you know, bridge a gap a little bit, but you know, it was one of those things where you sit back and say, never again, you know, I'm going to put things in place where we need to you know, we need to double down on what we're doing. We need to get to be a big, you know, a big presence. We need to execute on this goal now because, you know, and it seems counterintuitive because it's like you just went through this gut check period. You're not paying yourself, but it's like, you know, you could be a small dog um, and struggle, you know, and, and be and be exposed to the environment or you can actually build it up to something that's, you know, sizable and can withstand those impacts and so that was really the decision that that we made and so once things started to pick up um i said you know again just to start to plow everything back in the business i was able to kind of you know cut costs where costs needed to be cut and we invested where it made sense to invest sounds cool so when you said the the things turned right so when was it about the end of was it april time or so when things started uh, really... you know i would say it was really around end of february early march um so this time last when, year yeah this time last year yeah so the other thing too is i step back and look at the organization and you know one thing a common thing that you hear a lot in the rag podcast is this concept of the founder being the top biller and then mm. the founder struggling because if you pull away to manage a business and get it to a point where it's going to be successful, there's going to be some suffering from a revenue perspective. So you really need to surround yourself with producers. And so one of the first things I did was actually brought in um, a partner to, you know, with the global vision of mine to run the America's business. And that's an interesting story because he was actually my best customer for seven years. Um, (laughs) you you, you, You found another you basically. Right, right. And he um, he ran town acquisition for a, you know, a, a very big and successful uh, hedge fund slash family office down in the Dallas area. Um, never been an agency recruiter, but very similar in terms of kind of the background that I had. So now you have a situation where you have me, who was a hiring manager, and my partner, who was actually on the client side, which is interesting. And yeah. so to for him to profess enough faith in me and what it was that we we're trying to do for business to leave that side, to come on with us, um, you know, was huge. And I'll be forever grateful um, to him for doing that. So that was really the first thing is like, you know, get another partner in place, you know, get him up to a speed where he's a top biller and then start to build out, you know, the infrastructure, uh, I'm sorry, the organization um, beneath him from that perspective. And then and have you seen, have you seen that skill set that you had, 
replicating again in terms of success? Um, I have seen it. Um, I've seen it replicated better than I could have ever done it. You know, it, wow. it goes back to the thing is, you know, you surround yourself with people that are better than you, you know? Um, and, you know, to see him and what he brings to the table is huge. And every team member that I have, I mean, I would, I would put them against me any day um, because they're just that dedicated. And, and that's, that's my philosophy in the organization is again, I, you know, I can only go so far and I need to have people that are, you know, that are stronger than me in place. Yeah. That's wicked. So by freeing up the, the America's lead, that then meant you can focus elsewhere then. That then meant, yeah. And now the next task was to, was to, um, you know, relaunch the UK plan, um, which. What? By the way, you're the only firm I know that's come the other way around. So <laughs> when you, when you reached out to me and you're like, yeah, I'm launching the UK. I was like, really? <laughs> all, all, all it is is British recruitment firm saying, you know, let's go print money in the US. Let's go. And yet right, you're, right. you're doing the opposite, but I know again, you're coming in with a very niche knowledge right. base that, I reckon there's not many recruitment firms in the UK are headed, headed up by someone like you. So I can see why you're not just coming to be another tech recruiter in London. Cause I'd sure. be like, mate, don't bother. Go to Europe, right. go to don't somewhere bother. else. But right. no, right. but you're seeing the financial services sector in London or whatever. And you're seeing that there's opportunity to do the same thing. I imagine. Yeah, exactly. And and there's definitely a need with, with our clients for kind of round the clock coverage. You know, you have mm. US banks with operations in, in the UK. And that, that was the plan back in twenty nineteen was like, look, let's just let's just better support our clients in the UK. I don't you know, I'm sick of seeing that business go somewhere else. Let me, you know, let me handle yeah. it. And then as I've started to get more into the UK and, and continental European market, there is a big opportunity from kind of the niche that we offer. Um and our, our, our general focus. Um, and so, you know, if I, at that time I was looking at kind of, you know, the three legs of our stool, right. You know, you have, there's, there's kind of three main stakeholders, well, four main stakeholders, right. Candidates aside. So there's three main stakeholders of the, of the recruitment process, right. There's the hiring manager, there's internal HR, then there's a recruiter, the agency recruiter. And so my goal was to find a, you know, a hardened UK you know, London agency recruiter who's built the business before and who could kind of take this to the next level for us and be our boots on the ground there. And so I launched a, you know, did what we do best as recruiters and go out and recruit. I often get, you know, asked by people like, how, how did you find someone in the UK? I'm like, do you know what it is I do? I'm a recruiter. It's yeah. my job yeah. to find people. So mm. I recruited a, uh, you know, um, uh, a woman named Kelly who is, uh, who's cracking. She is awesome. Mm. You know, 17 years experience in the industry you know, built up a, a, a pretty sizable um, uh, agency business on contingency search and RPO, um, you know, and, you know, use case was, you know, very straightforward, you know, looking to go out and do our own thing. Um, wasn't overly excited about the operational side of it and, you know, the tech and the business side. And that's something we brought to the table. Um, and so convinced her to, to take the bet on us. And, you know, she started, uh, she started her, her contract ended the end of um, the end of January. So she's been with us full time. And then we're just kind of recruiting and building up the staff in the UK as well. Wow. And if she so, worked yeah. in the risk in that risk space, is that where she's recruited? Or? She, she had, um, it was more in financial services vertical. So she's bringing uh, an industry expertise that, you know, definitely um, is very similar to and complementary to risk. You know, they do a lot in insolvency, you know, so we're doing a lot there, which we don't, necessarily have an entirely similar market the u.s it's kind of a split between 
you know, accounting and legal. Um, but it's just one of those things from day one, we had a, we had a, a solid list of clients, you know, solid list of, of people who wanted to do business with us. Um, and that was all with just our core kind of marketing, you know, it was, it was, and it was great for her to be able to come out into a company that had existing clients, you know, and so yeah, she yeah. didn't have to do any business development work and really just kind of building it from that perspective. So from day one, we're absolutely washing our face, um, with the UK business, which is great and expanding to clients and, you know, Germany, um, Switzerland, doing some stuff in Paris. So really just, uh, you know, continuing to grow and build. Wow. Cause you were, when we first spoke, you were in the UK, weren't you? So where's your, yeah. where's your spot in England then? What's your location? Is it in London or? So we have a spot in London. Um, yeah, you know, London's a little bit different, you know, recruiting is a little bit more, you know, kinetic there face to face. You kind of got to be physically down there. So yeah, we do have a spot in London, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, it's one of those kind of we work type facilities yeah. and that's great from a small business perspective because you can expand and, and grow as you see fit. Um, for the most part, the team is, you know, it's, they're mostly remote, um, you know, which is great. That's just what our culture is, but we have that space so they could meet, meet with clients, et cetera. And there's going to be a time when we're going to have, you know, bodies and seats and obviously the shortage location is where it's at. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Do you, do you think that, so in the U S by the way, is it still remote or do you know, as the new guy that the head of America, is he bringing people into an office or what, how's that going? Um, that's we're, we're still remote. I mean, we still have our physical office here outside of New York city. Um, it's kind of some internal discussions that we're going through right now. Whereas, you know, on the management side, there's a lot of, and especially in this recruitment business, there's a huge advantage to having people in a desk format, you know, being able to scream across the room, Hey, I got a, a new role. Do you have anybody? And so that, that, that type of thing, I think there's definitely some, some value left on the table. But then you also have to look at it from the employee standpoint, the talent standpoint. You know, they've proven that they've been able to work successfully from home for the past two years. So why are you going to give them a soul sucking commute and, you know, you know, a situation that that's not ideal. And so most of our employees are happy with that. Um, But I think the London model is something that will roll out in the U.S. as well. The physical location come in when you want, you know, we might have kind of a regular meeting scheduled and I think it's going to naturally shake out where the employees that want to be around people and kind of have that environment day to day are going to be in day to day. You know, those that you know want a little bit more flexibility, we're happy to offer that. Yeah, yeah. I'm fine doing that indefinitely. It is literally, I know it's been, uh, oh, look, recruitment never stopped. We, uh, <laughs> yes. we, that that was such like a proper phone call. Like that that ringtone was such a real phone. Like I don't think I've heard a phone call like that. So, um, but look, like, I don't want to go on about the whole hybrid model stuff too much because it's it's been done. But it's still crazy to think how many firms before lockdown, before COVID, offered offered no flexibility. Like they used to call it flexi time where you could come in between like eight and nine or something. But you know now it's standard really that everyone says this kind of come in when you want. I think. I've spoken about it before, but it really does depend on the type of business you want, the type of age that you want to hire. I think if you're going for that pure graduate model, you're going to have to have a, a lot of office time. You're going to have a lot of training. Yeah. You have a lot of, they're going to yeah. want to be around each other and partying. And whereas if you're more slightly more senior, late twenties, early thirties or whatever people, you know, I think in the risk space and the type of people you're dealing with, it probably helps to have a bit of gray hair or whatever that you can stand in front of clients and you can have a slightly more 
you know, even if it's not about recruitment yet, you can have a more worldly conversation. And sure, so sure. That, that, that type of landscape in your business is going to perform fine, I think, with a, with a majority remote. Like if you look at Hoxo, we have, yeah, I'd say the average age must be 28, 29 at least, maybe okay. even older. And, and we don't, we've got 37, 38 people. No one works five days. There's, there's WeWorks in Cape Town, Joburg, London. Yeah. And, yeah. and people, the London lot, I think they're meeting today. I don't know. I'll never go down there, so I don't know. But they, uh, I think they're meeting today. And, and, and that's how it is. Like, we, but we can't, we can't go down that grad model. Like, if we want to, just, it's just not going to work. Like, if we get five right. graduates, no one's going to be there to train them. And it's not right. going to fit the rest of the business. They're not, not going to get right. through an academy and then we're all going to be around them. So, I think people have to make that decision, and the that the middle ground is actually quite a tricky place because if you sure you kind of com- you kind of got to commit to the business you want to build, and that that can and, and everyone tells you in recruitment the only way to grow headcount is through the trainee model. So you're like, sure, have you thought about right. that challenge? Right. Yeah, I definitely have, and you know, fortunately, having been at you know at our roots of remote business, you know, we do a lot with technology to leverage that. You know, I mean, everybody's using Slack, but you know, we're creative in ways we do that. We have virtual training courses, um, you know, doing things as much from that perspective as we can. But yeah, I mean, you're right. You know, thinking about, cause we are moving towards that graduate model. I like that model. I think it makes sense. Um, you know, but we're always going to be the firm that's going to really put, you know, our recruiting associates through a, a pretty intensive process and hire one or two at a time versus a big class um, of people because, you know, because of who we are, what we do, the clients that we work with, we really want people who are, you know, comfortable in adversity, who are, you know, hard workers, that kind of thing that can kind of operate on their own pretty quickly. Um, and we find that with the entry levels that we hire, it's like, it's like after our first week of training, they're like, I'm sick of this. Just let me recruit. And you know what? I'm like, do it. Fine. Do it. Here's a couple jobs. Get after it. And uh, it's it's worked very well for us. And I think from the from the the employee standpoint, it's awesome because we're giving them more, you know, we're giving them more responsibility, um, you know, than anybody else, you know. And, you know, by the way, we're paying a lot more competitively as well. So from a commission standpoint. So can you share anything about that? How do you how do you remunerate your people? Yeah. So, you know made a decision early on. We're not about the desk fee or anything like that, any kind of surcharges. So we take, that's our, our risk, you know, in addition to basic remuneration and things like that, it really is a, a plug and play. You plug in, you get access to all of our tech. Um, there's no, you know, there's no kickback that needs to happen to the house. Um, yeah. And then, you know, in terms of, in terms of commission, it's definitely graduated by title. So recruiting associates, principals, executive directors and partners. And, um, you know, it's really just kind of based on production, but, you know, from a, you know, from a commission split perspective, what I've seen with competitors, it's, uh, you know, it's pretty compelling. So, you know, earnings potential is is definitely unlimited. Yeah. And it should be, right? It should be. Yeah, of course. What sort of of percentages are we talking people can get? And I'm only asking you because I know there'll be people listening that might want to work for you. So you, you you might as well share it now. Yeah, I mean, you know, look on on the top end of a, a commission sharing recruitment associate could easily get you know twenty to twenty five percent of 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 the plate you know of their fee, which is mm. which is pretty solid. Um, mm. And then once you reach a certain point, you know, you can get more. 
and then obviously that's graduated, you know, principal and, and, um, you know, an executive director. In addition to that, we also have incentives around, and this is another thing I got from the RAG podcast, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, competitions, um, you know, so we're currently doing a competition now where, where, um, you know, if you get a placement, you get a dinner out. If you get a couple more placements, you get, you know, a full night overnight out locally. You know, if yeah. you get the grand prize, it's basically, you know, tickets for you and your spouse or your partner to go anywhere you want, you know, for five wow. days, that kind of thing. So we're really trying to make it, you know, an incentive for people. We also have crazy perks like unlimited PTO. You know, we don't, we just don't track it. It's just not what we do. We, you know, mm. it's, it's unlimited. There's none of that here. Um, you know, and again, um, you know, we, we also incentivize, um, um, uh, I'm sorry, business development. Um, and so, you know, you get a percentage of, of, of anything you bring in from a client perspective, whether or not you fill that role. Right. Um, right. you know, so it's, it's just, we really encourage people to build their desk and to, to kind of come into their own. Um, it's not kind of come in and, you know, you got to be a full desk person right away. We're giving all those jobs to the recruiters. You're going to come in from day one and you're going to have, you know, five to 10 more if you want it and you can, can absolutely handle it. Roles you'll be working on immediately right away. And I, I think that's a huge thing too for someone looking to break into the industry is because, you know, yeah. I, I've heard stories of recruiters starting and it's like, okay, great. We go through this program and now you got to go out and find your client or now you got to share a job with another recruiter. And, you know, that's just not the way we roll. It's like, hey, come in boom, we got more than enough work to go around, help us fill it. And, you know, rising tide lifts all boats, right? Makes sense. Well, so what's your job like now? So you're, you know, talk, talk us through what you actually do, because you, you've still, you talk about giving a lot of vacancies. So you must be involved in some of that. But what, how would you describe Spencer's role right now? What, what, what does a normal, normal day look like for you? Sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. So still, that's still very much TBD. Um, you know, a thing I often hear about is there's this, um, you know, there's this honeymoon period of recruitment agencies that, you know, up until right around 10, 15 staff, it's, it's great. You know, you can, you can, you can be a top biller, you can be a, you know, be an owner, you know, you can know everybody on your team. It's a great family and everything. And then there's like that next level of, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, where, maybe you don't necessarily know everybody on a personal basis. You know, you have a distributed team and a, and a, and an organization that is global. Um, you know, you're, you're dealing with different clients. You're not going out meeting every client. And that's really kind of that evolution that I'm going through right now is now we have people bringing in clients, clients that I've never met working in roles that I'm yeah, not yeah. necessarily familiar with. And so that, that's the first thing I'm still, you know, still very much in the production and billing side of the, the house. Um, but it is more strategic and it's more looking at, you know, okay, what are some of the products that we want to get into? What services do we want to blow out? You know, we're doing a lot of contingency, but as we, we grow, we know, you know, it's obvious the value is in the staffing and the RPO side. So looking to build out an RPO business, looking to build out staffing, you know, lay in, retain search as we get it. And so really think about offering not only the global you, coverage, but the 360 coverage. What do you mean by staffing? Like, what's the difference between contract. staffing and contingency? Oh, right, contract. Yeah, contract. Yeah, yeah. So contingency success fee, and then you know the staffing is you know interim or 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 temp temp staff. Yeah, yeah. In, in the UK, I would I don't know the way I would staffing to me is more 
high volume temp work, which would not be in your market, you know, like yeah, yeah. putting people in schools, for example. And gotcha, then, gotcha. You have, then you have contract, which is more your kind of mid to senior level. Then you have interim, which yep. is your kind of exec level. That's how I would know it. But yeah, yep. I get it. So if you've got a, yep. you get your perm contingency, you got your, your contract desk, you get your recurring revenue, and then you got your RPO, your your embedded talent model. That's that's your kind of classic diamond now, isn't it? Of, of right. firms, right? Um, right. And you, where <laughs> I'm, this show is not just about the business, right? I'm fascinated by how yeah. Yeah. people like you grow your businesses and maintain that father husband relationship health well-being talk us about the relationship with your wife now so she she took a big gamble on you and she you did sat over that she table did. what are you at the point where you, she you, you can treat her now and be like you know you took a you took the right gamble yeah yeah absolutely that's and that's kind of been the greatest pleasure of this whole thing is being able to you know to reward her for the risk that she took and the confidence she has in me, you know, again, she's, she's more of the worry, worry, where I'm the head in the clouds kind of guy. And I guess you have to be as an entrepreneur, <laughs> yeah. but it's yeah. a good balance. And so now we're at the point where she's actually seeing things work out. You know, she's, she's scared, you know, she's, she's almost at that alter ego. It's like, wow, you know, you're, you're 13 employees. How are we going to feed all these people? Shouldn't you be more worried than you are? It's like, it's going to work out, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I think it's, you know, it's, it's maintaining the balance. It's making sure that you, that you set aside time for yourself, that you stay physically active, that you have a routine in place because this businessman can, as you know, can burn you the hell out. You know, there's yeah. ups and downs and it's not for the faint of heart. Um, you know, so I do focus on things like meditation. That's one thing Ray Dalio Bridgewater really, really yeah. pushed was meditation. So he paid for everybody to, to take med meditation classes, transcendental meditation. I'm more of the mindful meditation side, but yeah. I meditate every day. Um, you know, big into working out. I was a, you know, college athlete oh, so many years ago. And so that, that has kind of stayed a big part of my life is making sure I work out and, you know, I don't want to say eat right. Cause that would be a lie, but I'm trying better. Um, <laughs> but you know, just, just stay physically fit. Right. You know, there's, there's this concept that you hear with, you know, old school bodybuilders. It's like, you know, the iron is my antidepressant and that's totally true. Do you know what? So, I, I, you may have seen my stuff about running recently, which is like, you know, I got to, I got to Christmas and, you know, I'm not a big guy, but I was, I was heaviest that weighed on the scale since university. And I was like, I'd just been drinking quite a bit and I felt like shit. And a friend of mine, so I recently moved back to Sheffield where I went to university. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I went from London to Manchester and now I'm in Sheffield, which is a city. If you don't know, it's an hour from Manchester. It's two hours up from sure, London. Sure. It, it's, it's a bit weird to be back actually, but I, I am really happy. My, one of my best friends at the time was when I was a P teacher, he was my colleague and he's, you know, when I left, I was probably, I was 24 and he was, I think he was just turned 30 and he, he was a bit chunkier and he didn't eat very well. And he, I used to take advice off me. Now we've come back and he's like shredded. He's like, he's running <laughs> double marathons and, uh, you know, he's, I think he's 14, 40, 41 and I'm 35. So it's kind of bang on 10, 11 years, it's 11 years later. Um, and I was like, so he was like, get on board with my running stuff. And I was like, I don't like running. Like, I hate it. I was like, I did a bit in lockdown because there was nothing to do, but I don't sure, like running. Sure. But then I got into it. And we did this challenge in January where we said, well, let's run every day without fail. 3K, minute, three kilometers minimum. Right. And uh, so it's not like two miles. It's not a long run, right? Um, so I did it. And, and I did some longer runs. And I think I did about 54 kilometers in the month. And uh, no, 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 that was way more than that. 
what was it? Three times thirty, about hundred, about hundred kilometers. I think in the month, and then second month I got injured at the start, but I kept, I got back on it, and then I ran all the way through my like I was in Dubai for two weeks, a couple of days of really big drinking, and still ran the next morning. Yeah, and I now, saw your post on that. Yeah, mate, I'm hooked. I am hooked now. Like this morning, <laughs> quarter past six, I'm up stretching, doing all my phone rolling. I'm out, ran half an hour. Like I think to myself now, unless. I think you can overtrain with running, but the pace I run is so slow. I don't, I don't know if you can. Sure. <laughs> it's like my business partner. My business partner posted a, a Strava walk. In, he walked into London during the tube strikes last week from Camden into right, Shoreditch, right. and and his walk is the same pace as my run. So that says it all, right? I'm a I'm a slow runner, but I'm I'm addicted. And do you know what the biggest impact has been on business? Like I feel like we've had a really good start to the year. Absolutely. My brain is so clear. I'm so. I'm so present, I'm so mindful. Whereas last year we didn't have a we had a great year, but with so many days, especially in December, when I felt like shit and I was not the best version of me. And that I don't know, when you're a founder of a business, you can't afford it. Like you just No, you, you have you, to be you know, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, I did a post on on this in LinkedIn, I think it was this week. It's like, yeah, I mean, I look at, you know, a year ago during COVID or even a lot of the times in the tough times and found the business, I would wake up immediately be on my phone, immediately be on email. My day would take control of me. And, and what I started to do a year ago was like, look, you have to protect, you have to protect your house and you have to protect your bubble for at least the first couple hours in the morning. Right. So I wake mm -hmm. up at four 30, don't check email. Don't check, check cool messages. Thing. Yeah. Meditate. Oh, wow you know, meditate, get some kind of workout going, get some coffee, you know, read a book that's going to make me a better person, you know, do 10, 20 pages of that, you know, do what you got to do, get ready for the day. And then the second I step over that threshold to get into my car, get into the office, that's when I pick up the phone, check email, things like that. Been a life changer for me, man. I'll tell you, it's just like, yeah. it, it allows me to control what it is I do during the day. I'm not a big morning workout guy. So I, I block off, you know, couple hours in the middle of the day to work out and that's my sacred yeah. time but if i don't do that i'm not performing the level i need to perform and the people around me are affected what time do you need to go to bed to wake up at four thirty? <laughs> you know what i i'm old i'm old and decrepit so i need to be in bed around you know <laughs> 9 9 30 man i can't be going out doing late nights drinking or anything like that anymore no nah, well yeah, I, I, I'm, you know, I, I definitely like a drink every now and again. I'm going to South Africa in three weeks to meet my team for the first time. Oh, nice. Um, to me, and it's funny though, because Hoxhill's five-year birthday was was last week. So fifth, okay. fifth fourth Congrats, of Congrats, Mark. Thanks, mate. It was really, you know, it's a, it, was, it was crazy. It kind of just came upon us and we were like, fuck, because we had a 10-year plan when we started this. We right, said, right. Th when we're 30 we'll start and when we're 40 we'll finish and then we'll hopefully be you know financially free and whether we exit or what who knows but we we don't we said by 40 we don't have to work we will still want to work yeah, and and right. i think we're still on track but to get to the halfway point is a bit crazy like how fast it's gone it's gone like my hair went gray that pace it's nuts um <laughs> but 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 yeah so we booked our our flights and my, my people manager operations manager booked book the flights and then we we decided because we're in Cape Town for the first time, we're meeting all of our South, South African team for the first yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Why don't we do our five year anniversary when we get there, and then the UK can do a party because we normally do like the Christmas party, and we're all in the UK sure, and we're sure. on the screen. We're going to flip the script this time. We'll be on the South oh, side. Nice. So I can't. Okay. But she's booked the the party starts three hours after we land on an overnight flight. <laughs> oh, so geez. I'm like, I'm and I'm at a wedding the day before. 
So I'm at a wedding all day on the Wednesday. Thursday, I'm going to be hungover. I'm going to go down to London. I'm going to get Heathrow. I'm going to sleep overnight, hopefully. And then I'm going to land. And then we're out again. So do it again. Yeah. For, some, for, somebody doesn't go, for somebody who doesn't go out very often, it's going to be wicked. But I'm, I'm a little bit apprehensive. I'm a little apprehensive. <laughs> I feel old. You'll power Crazy. through, buddy. You'll power through. Yeah. I'll make it. So going back, go back to you, right? So you said, you know, you now you you be able to treat your wife more. Things are say stable. You're growing internationally now. You you're keeping yourself mentally and and physically fit, and you've got a routine. Do you think like we not spoke about your your children? How old are your kids, by the way? So my my kids are twelve and nine right now. So what do you so think? Still pretty. Young. Have, have they ever spoke to you about like where they where you're going and entrepreneurship? Do you think there's any interest there that they might follow your path in the future? Yeah, you know, that's definitely something I try to instill in them is, you know, doing your own thing, being independent, you know, creating wealth from nothing, which I think is is awesome. And so it's just, you know, for example, one of my kids wanted a well, actually they both wanted a Nintendo Switch. And I said, Look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna buy it for you. I can buy it for you, I can buy many of them for you, but you're gonna earn it yourself. So you're gonna yeah. go out and do what you gotta do to earn it. And man. I'll tell you, they earned every dime of it. And it was one of my proudest moments as a parent is like, you know, an eight-year-old at the time goes out and earns, you know, $200. I mean, an eight-year-old thinks, you know, a dollar is all the money in the world. And the fact that he earned 200 of them is is awesome. And it was just, how How did they do it? What did they do? You know, I mean, you know, that generous grandparents who would pay him, you know, uh, a very, very fair wage for say raking leaves or something. Um, But, you know, they did chores around the house and, you know, they, you know, they did other things that they, you know, they needed to do to make money, which was awesome. So, I mean, in theory, it was our money, but at least they earned it. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. No, but that's that's what it's about, right? Creating a right. a safe place to go out and learn to do something and you get something in return. Otherwise, right. you just, you, otherwise you don't value money. You just think it's it's a given. Right, right. Exactly. And you know what I tell them, you know, when they ask me what, what daddy does, and I, it's a deeper point because it's what's kept me in recruiting for so long is that you really are changing people's lives. You're helping make people's lives better. And I know that sounds a little corny and sappy, but it's absolutely true. If you look at, you know, the top three events that somebody could have in their life, right? It's, you know, having a kid, there's death and then there's changing jobs, you know, maybe getting married up there as well for for some people. Um, But, you know, making people's lives materially better. And that's certainly not lost on me every day. Um, And I think that's something that, keeps motivating me and certainly motivating the team every day as we go in. So to hear my, my sons describe what it is I do, they're like, Oh, daddy helps people find jobs and feed their families. That's pretty cool to hear. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. (laughs) And the thing about what I love about this industry is that you don't need to come from, you know, you don't need to, there's no background that says you can't do it or you can do it. Like you've come from a risk background. I came from a teaching background. Like there's so many different ways graduates it's all about, are you a people person? Do you, do you understand how humans think? I always say, you know, recruitment's about putting two people in a room before they're in the room and seeing it, mm-hmm. seeing it there first and, and thinking, right, this is obviously on, this has got to be a paper match in terms of skill sets and experience, but the, the, the true skill set is going, they're going to, they're going to work. It's like that. I think I've, I've put together some relationships in my life. I've, I've put like males and females together and gone, oh, you should meet and, or I found loads of my friends' jobs with people. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. And, and I'm like, it came quite, I was doing that before recruitment. It was a natural thing for me to go, right. you're going to get on with that guy. You should meet that guy. You should know that person. You thought about doing that. 
So I think, yeah, you, that's probably a bit, I don't know if you can teach that bit. That's the bit that I think when you really get it, it's, it's amazing, really. Right, right. And yeah, there's certain core, you know, if I look at, you know, who we hire, we look at people based on, you know, values, abilities, and skills, right? So there's values. You can't train values. You have to have integrity. You know, there's things that are core of who you are, right? Values is values, right? There's the the skills. Those are the things you can train, right? Which is how to use LinkedIn or your ATS, how to, you know, how to recruit, et cetera. And then there's the abilities, right? And it's the the gritty things like working hard. It's dealing with failure. It's the resilience. Those are the things you can't necessarily coach right away or it takes time to coach. And I think when looking at recruiters that you bring onto the business, you really kind of target values is obviously a given, but really look in the abilities and saying, okay, what about your background um, can demonstrate that you can do the job of recruiters successfully, right? And we hired somebody in the UK, as a matter of fact, um, it, what always impressed me about his background is he did have a little bit of audit, which was great. But when he was out of work, he was working in an Amazon warehouse. You know what I mean? He wasn't just living on, you know, mommy and daddy's dime. He's out there busting his hump, doing what it needed to do to, to work. And that to me shows greediness. That to me shows resilience. Um, and just someone who's just willing to get his, get his hands dirty. And I was like, done, you're hired. You know, I actually wasn't even planning on making a hire. But when I saw that and talked to him with some of that background, yeah. It, 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 it wasn't a question in my mind. No. It makes sense, man. What What's the vision then? So if we if we just take a step back and say, right, where are we heading, MBK Search? What, what's the plan? Yeah, absolutely. So plan is to, obviously, geographic expansion, continue to uh, increase our footprint in the Amir region, um, get involved in Asia Pacific, you know, obviously the easy, they're not easy, nothing's easy in this business, right? But the the logical choice is going to be, um, you know, Sydney, Australia, and then kind of look to that as our, as our home base for that region. Um, and then just really hone and continue to refine our solution suite for the clients with that end game of fall the sun, 360 degree yeah. coverage for what you need from a talent perspective. That's really what I'm looking, you know, looking at. So uh, we've built out the management team. You know, there's probably going to be one or two other people on the management side. Someone to run a me or APAC someone to run the RPO and then really just kind of build out the team of really good, solid recruiters, um, you know, that are entrepreneurial and want to build their business and want to be with us, uh, you know, long-term. And so that's such a, the time zone from Sydney to New York's big, cause I'm, I'm currently coaching so many people in the, in Australia and right, right. now it's 11, 11 hours for me. So that's 16 hours for you. So would you, how are you going to manage that? Like that, are you going to travel there a lot? Are you going to? Is it always going to be remote? How do you, how do you see yourself being present with that business and adding value? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you know, there's definitely going to be some, you know, there's going to be a need to look at my schedule and maximize that to provide as much support as I can. But also, a lot of it is just on finding someone I can trust. You know, this isn't a this isn't a decision to be taken lightly. And so, it's as you get down that path, is the question is do you send a very strong junior person over there and give them a shot, you know, um, or do you go and do what I did in the UK and just find an absolute, you know, cracker, um, you know, get on with it, you know? And so I mm -hmm. think it's just really finding someone that I deeply trust because you can't, you can't, you know, be a global managing partner and not trust the people that are working for you. And so that's, 
that's really the challenge is finding the right person. So that's, that's going to be the, you know, the biggest thing I'm focusing on. Have you got a timeline in your head for, for that person to be on board? You know, in a perfect world, Nate, it's probably, you know, early 2023. Right. So embed yeah. the UK this year, then look at going again. Correct. Right. You know, and, and that's the thing, man, is, you know, it, it, you could, and that's the other thing about entrepreneurialism, running a business. It's not just for our world is you could either think about it forever or you can just do it and figure it out. And I, that's the biggest lesson I've learned over the past year is just freaking do it, you know, put yeah. a stake in the sand, figure it out. Like Facebook says, run fast and break, run hard and break things. That's what, mm. that's what being a business owner is about. I could think all day long about, you know, launching in Australia and do all kinds of analysis, but at the end of the day, you just got to freaking do it. And so that's, yeah. that's my philosophy and we'll figure it out. I like it. That was my, my motto has always been, we'll work it out, right? That's one of our values yeah. because when I was going traveling when I was 24, me and my business partner every weekend would go out drinking and we didn't have any money, right? We, we literally, we, we'd saved nothing for this around the world trip we were going on. And every, every, every Saturday night, we'd be like, we really shouldn't go out this week. And we'd always go, <laughs> we'll work it out. And, it, and, and when it got, we got to the point of going and honestly, October 30th, 2010, I'm flying to India with no money. I had no money. I was waiting on a payment from the school I worked for, £2,000, and I got an overdraft out. So I had £4,000 for, <laughs> for, an, for an endless trip. And uh, I think I, I had to borrow a bit of money off family or with one of them, one of my friends to give me back. But we, it was like, you know, we nearly didn't make it. But then when we started Hoxo, and every time something shits hit the fan, it's always been, we'll work it out. COVID, we'll work it out. And yeah, I do. I completely agree. I think if you're not embarrassed by the first version of what you do anyway, you're like, you, you started too late. Like, you know, Thousands. if you look back and go, that was a bit bit cringy. That it wasn't the best, but at least you did it. And at least you learn and you burn. Whereas so many people sit there waiting. Think of, it's the same with content, right? And I don't, I know we've got to finish in a minute, but when, when it comes to content, I'm, I'm a big believer that you can't learn and get better without posting. So if you put stuff out there, that's not great. That's okay. That's part of the journey. I get people on my academy who are like, you know, I posted my first post and I expected way more. And I'm like, why? <laughs> you've, not, <laughs> yeah. you've, you've never done this. It's like going to the gym and training and looking at yourself in the mirror. And going, I expected a lot more today. Right. It's like you're not, right. it's not how it works. But the more you do it, the more you learn, the more mistakes you make, the better you'll be. And it's just, it's just part of the journey. So right. um, I love your attitude and I completely concur with it. Well, um, I've got to wrap this up now, but. Spencer, if anyone is listening and is interested in this this journey you're on, um, either whether APAC or UK, you know, what's the best way to get hold of you? Yeah, you know, uh, direct message me on LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn. I, I can also share my my email, but feel free to reach out anytime, day or night. I'm happy to uh, pay it forward, and I always love sharing best practices and exploring new opportunities. So I'm here for anybody who wants to reach out. Just work out what time 4.30 is in New York and you can always get hold of him. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the guy doesn't sleep. Exactly, the guy does man. not sleep. The guy does not sleep. Well, I, I, have, I have the widgets, uh, widgets on the phone. That, that's that's a been a lifesaver for me. <laughs> well, Spencer, look, we're going to get you back on. Without a doubt, we're going to have you back on the show um, again in, a, I'd say, about 12 months' time. Let's get you back on. Let's see how this first Sweet. year in the UK has gone and let's see if you are in a position to move to Australia, okay? Sweet, man. Hey, thanks All for right. having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it too. 
Thank you, as always, for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode was brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media, and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2,000 recruiters right now, both managing the brands, producing content, building written video podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level individual recruiters in your businesses how to be better on LinkedIn. That's how to brand themselves. That's how to produce content. That's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business. We're coaching people all over the world every single day. If any of that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean Anderson, a personal message on LinkedIn. I would love to talk to you. Tune in again next week. That's live on LinkedIn. I'll see you soon.